Let's move beyond your comfort zone and into your genius zone because it's time to tap into the higher wisdom within you, your higher genius. I'm your host, Christy Turley, author of the book, The Intuition-Led Business, serial entrepreneur and intuitive intelligence expert. Imagine the possibilities when you can make better decisions and create practical and sustainable solutions using the power of your intuition, your higher genius. This is the Higher Genius Podcast. Today joining me is Kareth Foster, and we will be talking about how to be funny even if you don't think you're funny, and why Kareth believes that if you can laugh at it, you can get through it. We'll also be talking about our struggles with perfectionism and how to flip the script to have even more peace and happiness. And her new book is out, You Can Be Perfect or You Can Be Happy. So Kareth Foster is a speaker, a humorist, a TV and radio personality, an author, entrepreneur, wife, and mother. And she is definitely a positive force of change. She's a diversity engagement specialist whose signature programs are impacting lives at academic institutions, organizations, and corporations across America. And we'll talk a little bit about diversity today and about her new word, inversity, and how it really emphasizes uniting people instead of dividing people. And we'll go further in depth actually in the next episode, which is a part two to this episode, just about that one subject. So join me in welcoming Kareth. Hi, Kareth. Welcome to the show. Well, hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you. So um, we're going to be talking about a lot of fun things today about how to be funny, even if you don't think you're funny. Mm-hmm. and really how to lighten up. Uh, times are different right now. There's a lot of upheaval personally, professionally, globally, and this is definitely a message that we can all use right now. So, um, and you just had a book come out. Uh, you can be perfect or you can be happy, which is an awesome title. Thank you so much. You know, I think that so many of us are striving to live perfect lives, be perfect people, you know, the perfect friend, the perfect spouse, the perfect mom, the perfect child. And there's no such thing as perfection. Uh, Yet we've been kind of duped into thinking that if I just work hard enough, or if I just do this, I'll I'll get there. Um, And it's an illusion, but happiness is not. And while happiness is as individual as we are, um, there is also, it's, it's attainable. Now the caveat is happiness is not a constant. And that's okay too. It is okay to have bad days. It is okay to want to stay in bed for a day or a weekend. Three weeks, you should probably talk to someone, right? Um, And so the idea behind you can be perfect, you can be happy is just basically giving people permission to be human and fallible. Um, And understand that, you know, striving for perfection can cost you. It can cost you joy, peace, and happiness. Yeah, I'm a reforming perfectionist myself. So you're speaking my language. I'm working on it, right? Practice we all are. Perfect. We all are. This book <laughs> is almost really more of a note to self. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Seriously. So um, you're you're a comedian. You're 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 a keynoter who integrates a lot of humor. So how can we use why humor and why would it be important to want to use that as a tool on our tool belt and business. Absolutely. I think everybody remembers their favorite teacher 
or professor. And they were the people who incorporated humor into the lessons. And through that, you were more engaged, you retained more. And I think the same applies to when you are a speaker or a presenter or a leader in an organization. And you can use humor um, to engage people, but also it, it sets a tone that's almost magical. You know what I mean? Because it, it helps people put their, their, their defenses down. It neutralizes a space so that if you're going to be covering an uncomfortable or difficult topic like diversity and inclusion as, as you know, a big topic of, of, of dialogue right now, um, it creates a space for people to be able to come um, with open ears, you know, not necessarily ready to, to have an argument or to, again, like be on the defensive. Humor is such an incredible tool. And why I appreciate comedy and comedians is because we're the truth tellers, you know, and this goes as far back as, you know, before Shakespeare. But if you think about even Shakespeare's time, you know, in his plays, you know, he and the court jesters were the only people allowed to poke fun at the king without being tried for treason and being beheaded. So there is this, this way to, to weave the truth into comedy to get people to go, oh yeah, I never thought about it that way. Or, or say things that some people either are afraid to say or haven't thought about in a certain way. And I, I was a fan of stand-up comedy before I became one. Cause I just, I was in awe of people who had the gift of being able to take something really, really complex and break it down, right? Or really simple and extrapolate on it and take it to a whole other level. Like I just, I thought that there was a genius to that. Um, and there is, there's a genius in that and there's a gift in that because what comedy does is it, it's a unifier. It's a great unifier to get people to laugh at the same thing. People who come from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic statuses, different ethnicities, and to be able to create a commonality under the umbrella of humor is such a powerful thing. And you don't have to be a stand-up comedian to use humor, it certainly helps. Um, but there, there are ways to go about finding humor. And, and when you know, we talk about self-deprecating humor, you know, I don't like rip myself apart or, or you know, oh, really, I'm not like a Rodney Dangerfield <laughs> to myself. Um, but I, 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 it's very personal. And I think we can open up that way and kind of, you know, show that you don't take yourself so, so seriously. It lets other people not take themselves as seriously. And, and we can all kind of be on this playing field as, as these wonderful, fallible, imperfect humans. Yeah, that's such a great point. And, uh, you know, it, it brings me back to that, that title of your book, you know, you can be perfect or you can be happy. And when people can be vulnerable and authentic and say, look, I'm flawed a little here. I have these great strengths, but I'm a little flawed right here. It, it takes a lot of pressure off of you as well as everyone else there. And all of a sudden you can have a more constructive company meeting, um, with ideas that people aren't afraid to share. So yeah, you raise a great point. Now, um, I would love for you to dive a little deeper on something before we can go into the how to be funny part. Mm -hmm. Um, because of there's a lot of tension right now in the air and you talk a lot about diversity. So how, how so many people don't even know what to say. 
And then people kind of like get upset at the people who are silent, but they really don't know what to say. So being funny, that seems like the last thing you would want to do on, on such a sensitive subject. So how would you advise that? How do you use it when you're teaching, um, in corporate environments? Um, what, what do you say to that? Excellent. Excellent questions. I mean, this is why you do what you do, right? Um, you know, I, I think the number one rule in comedy is be funny, right? And then the second rule is know your audience. And that is something that comes from having an emotional intelligence that not everybody has, but that doesn't mean it, you can't strengthen it. Okay. So when I speak on the topics of diversity and inclusion, I actually am looking to revamp the whole way we have that conversation because I personally don't believe that it's been done well. If it had, we would be in a much different place than we are now. So I coined and trademarked the term inversity. Hmm. And inversity is still a nod to the acknowledging and, and respecting our, our differences and what sets us apart. Like that would be insane to try to skip over or ignore. But instead, shifting the focus from what separates and divides us to what do we have in common? How can we be truly inclusive of one another? But most importantly, introspective, right? Meaning understanding your value, your worth, your connection to humanity. Because if you can see that in yourself, then you can see it in someone else. And I feel like we've been working from the outside in for so long. And now we have to work from the inside out. And that is what's going to change things. And part of the methodology I use is a system called CARE. Uh, I want people to start caring about themselves and each other, but CARE is an acronym for conscious empathy, active listening, responsible reactions, and environmental awareness. And when you can apply those things, you, you can have the conversations that are uncomfortable, but not necessarily painful. And we are in a place and a time where a lot of people, they don't know what to say. You know, I, I likened it to, um, the, there, there's a, a story, and I don't know if it's a fable, but it, it seems to kind of make sense. You know, when the Americas were first settled by the Europeans, the indigenous people who like were there, they couldn't see the ships. They couldn't see, the, it was still beyond their scope of cognition. They physically could not see the ships arriving on the shore. They saw the people. So it's almost like this magic trick, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's kind of what racism is right now for a lot of people who've never experienced it. Um, a lot of people, now they see the ships and they don't know how to deal with it. And it, cause it's terrifying. Um, and, and you're like kind of caught in this place of, I don't want to say the right thing, wrong thing. I want to do the right thing. What do I do? And this is where the caring comes in, the conscious empathy, not to be confused with sympathy. Sympathy is when you feel bad for someone. Empathy is when you put yourself in their shoes. Conscious empathy is empathy on steroids, right? Where you ask two main questions. What is it like for them and how must that feel? And it's not just a two-way street. You know, this is a six-lane highway. So it's going to take some effort and some energy and some patience and some maturity. But asking, you know, what is it like to be someone who is the only Black person in the office? What is it like to be someone who wears their religion, you know, in their wardrobe? What is it like to be a white person who didn't grow up around anybody but white people and doesn't know the right thing to say or questions to ask and doesn't want to be accused of microaggressions? And then there's the active listening. You know, it's not what you say, but how you say it. We know that expression. But sometimes it's not what you hear, but how you interpret it. 
which is why we have to be curious. We have to ask questions. We have to, if somebody says something, we're not sure if it was the right thing to say, you say, well, what did you mean by that? Where did you get that information? Um, how, 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 you know, did that come to be part of your purview? And that's how you create a dialogue, which is what we need right now more than anything. We don't need people to back into a corner and say, oh, this is too uncomfortable. We don't need people to say, you know what, I'm tired of explaining this. I've said this over. No, we need people to sit together, have an open exchange, um, and, and not, I mean, listen, these are very tense times with very raw feelings, but we have to understand that we have to kind of step past that if we want to move forward. That is so well said. And what an awesome acronym, you know, and I totally agree. It's about feeling united and showing our love, showing that we care. And that's, that love is what unites us. That's what um, runs through all of us as humanity. So, so very well said. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about your story and, and how you got to do what you do? Sure. You know, I, I grew up in a suburb uh, of Plano, Texas, where I was the only one. I was the only Black person in any of my classes. And that became my normal. You know, I didn't know anything different. And I think everybody comes from their prism of normal. It wasn't until I went to DC, I did an internship in college um, and then, you know, studied abroad in England and, and lived in New York. And I, I was exposed to all these different cultures and languages and people and ethnicities. And, and I realized, you know, we, we aren't that different, first of all. We, are, we have more in common than we don't. And we all just want the same things, to feel worthy, to be loved and to be heard. Um, and I, I, I started as a, a journalist. I'm, I call myself a recovered journalist. That's what I have my degree in. And I moved to New York, basically out of school to work for The View, because I thought, who better to learn from than Barbara Walters, you know, the queen herself. And that kind of became my Devil Wears Prada. You know, a million girls would kill for this job. Why are you miserable? And it's because while I was behind the scenes, and I did glean a lot from that, I learned how to produce and book and write. I missed having that voice. I missed being in front of people. And while I was there, I, I found stand-up comedy, or while well, it found me. And I treated myself to a stand-up comedy class because I just needed an outlet for expression. And I realized that stand-up was really what I was wanting to do the whole time, even though I was never the class clown. I was kind of the straight-A, goody-two-shoes student. Um, I, I, what I found was it was what I'd wanted to do with journalism in the first place, which was be the beacon of light and truth. But I wanted another element to it, and that was the healing factor. I wanted to promote unity. I wanted to show people that, you know, gosh, you know, life is tough, but we got this. And that's what comedy allowed me to do. And it was an incredible vehicle for, you know, not just self-expression, but to, you know, get people to laugh, think, and grow. I mean, that's my motto, laugh, think, grow. Uh, and I do believe if you can laugh at something, you can get through it. Uh, if you really look at comedy, so much of it is based on painful experiences, uh, things that are tough. And, and I, I, I really, truly, you know, what comics provide in the way of, 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 of healing is, I think, such a phenomenal thing. And again, you don't have to be a stand-up to be able to find the funny in things. Now, you do have to, again, know your audience have a gauge on what is appropriate and what isn't. 
Um, you know, think about what you say before you say it, like anything, truly, you know, is this going to come out the right way? Um, you know, there's never, <laughs> it's never a good time when someone says, um, I don't mean to be offensive, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, the office, <laughs> the office, uh, with Michael Scott comes to mind, right, right. always seem to say the wrong thing. <laughs> yes. Um, that's why we love that show. Exactly. And I mean, and th that's where the joking about yourself. So it's not like you're, you're putting it on someone else. You're not attacking someone else. You're making fun of an experience that happened to you. Um, you know, I, 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 I have a joke about, you know, going up and down with my weight and my size. And it's truly a joke just about me. And I joke about how, where I am geographically dictates how other people see me. Like in New York city, I'm pleasantly plump, right? But in LA, I'm a beached whale. Uh, but when I go back to Missouri, where I went to school, I'm anorexic, and it is awesome. <laughs> uh, so anybody having a fat day, you know, you get yourself a one-way ticket to Kansas City, and you will be. <laughs> it's all relative, right? All relative. And it's a joke. I mean, it's truly yeah. just a joke. Obviously, there are big, small, tiny people, you know, everywhere. And it's not, it's not about a personal attack. It's just about me joking about myself. And, and just trying to bring light to some situations and, and talking about how, when we do stereotype, you know, what that does to other people and ourselves. And it, it's, and, you know, I use that to kind of make a point and hopefully most people get it. They understand it's, it's certainly not a personal attack or, you know, addressing anybody who has you know, eating disorders or that kind of thing. Um, but it's, you know, we, we have to find the humor in things. If we do not let humor in our lives, we are doomed because good Lord, there is enough bad, awful stuff going on in the world. Um, if we can't find a way to laugh, we're in trouble. So true. Well, and, and that joke is actually, there's a deeper meaning even there because it shows us how distorted our thinking can become because of our perspective. And if we can change our perspective, or like you were saying before, using empathy to think from someone else's perspective and feel into that, then all of a sudden our, how we see things change, not because the things that we're looking at changed. Exactly. So yeah, I love that. Um, so comedy comes from pain. So knowing that it all, all of a sudden seems easier to learn how to be funny. Yeah. Can you, can you break it down? Like how can someone who doesn't even think they're funny, how can they learn to be funny? Can it be taught? Absolutely. I mean, there are comedy classes all around the country. Um, and I think, like I said, it, it kind of comes from pain points, you know, some things you don't even realize that were hard. Um, I often joke, you know, having been in the entertainment industry about not being considered black enough right? Because there's a stereotype of what a typical African-American woman should sound like or look like or act like. And when I was in entertainment, where they very much like to put you in a category, you know, siphon you into a pigeonhole, I would go out for these auditions and they would all be for African-American roles, which duh, hello, that's me. But I get there and I would speak with this voice <laughs> and they would say, um, can you jazz it up a little? <laughs> because they couldn't say, Kareth, what we need you to do is sound blacker, right? We're too politically correct for that. So instead, I, I, you know, I, I actually said once, so you want me to scat? Um, 
one woman goes, oh no, you don't seem to understand. What we're going for is an urban sound. Can you do that? I was like, I can do suburban for you. I'm from Plano, Texas. I, that's the best I can do. <laughs> and so using my personal experiences of, of discomfort, right? Of pain, finding the light in it. You know, if we think back to the sitcoms, right? Of the 80s and the early 90s, some of the funniest episodes were around funerals, right? I mean, what could be less funny than death? But there's something to that. There's a healing and a catharsis in pointing out the absurdity of things and the pain and kind of flipping the switch on it. So I think to people who are like, oh, well, I don't have anything funny happening in my life. Actually, I'm sure there are some things that if you think about, it kind of tickles you, you know? And if it makes you laugh, odds are it'll probably make somebody else laugh. Um, and it's way safer to talk about yourself than anyone else, because especially if you're in a position of power or H, you know, you don't want HR coming down on you. Um, but I think there's so many things that are universal, like marriage and kids and, you know, yes, you know, talking about our diets that have failed, you know, I, COVID-19, I think they called it 19 because that's how many pounds people gain since we've been <laughs> quarantined. Yep, the quarantine 19. <laughs> yes, and so know, the freshman yeah. 15, totally. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So I don't, you know, I'm not saying go out and try to be a stand-up comic, you know, but I am saying just look for the humor and the little things. And if it tickles you, like I said, odds are it'll, it'll tickle somebody else. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah. And, and also giving yourself permission to, uh, really reflect upon life as well and not just take it as it comes and, you know, feel some kind of emotion, but actually you're talking about transforming the emotion of, of fear or worry or some of these more painful emotions into something a lot lighter, you know, how many of us grew up, don't be so serious, you know, hearing that. And, um, we're probably the ones that can use, uh, <laughs> humor the most, right? Without question. Without and, uh, actually those are probably the same people that are perfectionists. I was just going to say you, you're, you're literally talking about stuff that's in my book right now. Um, you know, I, I call it getting back to the basics and that's an acronym for several different, um, principles that people can apply. And one of the B's is, is be present, you know, just present, be present with what you're feeling, be present with what's going on around you. You know, don't go into the past thinking, oh, I should have said this. I should have. I mean, I know that as a perfectionist, recovering perfectionist, I have laid awake nights thinking about counter arguments to stuff that happened in college. You know what I mean? Totally. <laughs> Ruminating. <laughs> right? Like, what good does that do? How is that helping anyone? I am just losing sleep. Um, but being present, that, and that also means like, don't go too far in the future. Like you're never going to be in the future. You're only right here right now. And being present, like you said, I, I, I really want to honor what you just said as far as, you know, if you're not feeling it, if you're having a bad day, you know, we in Western society so badly want to skip over the bad stuff, right? We, we do not grieve properly like we should. And this is, you know, since coronavirus and, and this, this new, um, you know, this, this division that we're seeing amongst people based on our, our race and ethnicities. And by the way, I hate saying race because we're only one race, the human race, but you know what I mean? Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's uncomfortable. And so people want to fast forward and skip over it. No, sit with that, 
sit with that for a moment, be present in that so that you can feel it fully and start to heal. You know, we recently rescued some baby bunnies in our backyard and unfortunately um, nature got to them and took its course. Um, we tried to, you know, let them do their thing, but our last one passed away. And that was the one we gotten really attached to and we were feeding and, and, and nurturing and it would, had grown, its little ears had popped up, its eyes had opened. And um, my daughter, who's seven, she's like, mommy, I don't want to be sad about this. And I said, you know what? It's okay to be sad about this. We, we have to be sad sometimes because that's how, that's how we heal. That's how we grow. It's okay to grieve. I don't want you to skip over that because you don't like how it feels. And we had a really nice, beautiful conversation about it. And the same goes for adults. You know, yeah, we don't like to be sad. We don't like to be scared. We don't like to feel helpless, which is what so many people feel right now, wherever you stand. You know, this is not a political thing. This is not an ethnic thing. This is not a religious thing or, or gender thing. Like everybody right now feels a little helpless. And it's okay to feel that way right now. And then you, you sit with it and you start to take action, whether it's having conversations, reading articles, stepping a little outside of your comfort zone so you can see how to mend things for yourself and for others. Yeah, I agree. And it takes humility because a lot of us are considered to be experts. So how dare we not know the answer? And this is an unprecedented time. It's going to take an unprecedented amount of creativity to see our way through and also introspection and, and reflection. So, um, yeah, it's, you're right on and feel, feel how you're going to feel and connection. I would say too, it, it goes back to the point of, of being united, reaching out, being vulnerable, not worrying about how you might look, you know, because maybe you don't know this one answer because probably someone else does and, and can really help you through it. So yeah, it's really, really great. Great. So, um, and I like how you say too, if you can laugh at it, you can get through it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, we are not perfect. Obviously that's why the book is, you can be perfect. You can be happy. Not really an option. Um, but we can still, you know, find things that amuse us and, and laugh at our, 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 fallible, our fallible qualities, you know, laugh at the fact that, you know what, I didn't nail it. <laughs> That's one of my favorite shows is Nailed It. And this is a baking show where people just destroy their, um, their creations, <laughs> not intentionally, they're trying the best they can, but they're making fun of it, you know, and that's what we should do. And not taking ourselves so seriously all the time. Um, I think that's really where we have to start coming from right now. And, and just understanding that I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Nobody is perfect. And so to expect that, not just from ourselves, but from other people, like that's a pretty high bar. Yeah. And I, I love how you use, you've shared how you use humor to really discuss things that normally people wouldn't want to discuss because it's so taboo and humors, uh, like the gateway to be able to talk about those subjects. Um, do you mind giving us an example or 
uh, tell a, another joke or illustrate this in some way. Maybe you have a story. I'm putting you on the spot, Miss Miss. That's all right. Comedian. That's all right. I'll take it <laughs> as I take a sip of water. Yeah, yes, as she sips a water nervously, <laughs> trying to figure out what she's going to say. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's all good. You're a pro. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, as far as using humor, so I have this great story about my mom. And, you know, since we're talking about, you know, what's happening with, the, you know, racial tensions in America, my mom, um, I, she's just my hero in so many ways. And when we first moved to Texas from Denver, we were transferred here. My dad worked for IBM. And my mom, you know, ended up putting us in private school and we were doing this, that, and the other. And this was back in the day when people would solicit you and call your house and, hey, do you need this surface, you know, carpet cleaning, do you need? And um, there was a, a company, and we'll just say Sears because they're defunct and can't sue us, um, <laughs> that was calling my mom to see if she needed, you know, to have the carpets cleaned. And every time this woman called, it just wasn't the right time, but she and my mother developed a rapport. They would just, you know, have a quick little chat. So we'll call her Nancy. Uh, Nancy knew after a time that, you know, my father worked for IBM. She knew my, you know, my mom had gone to Rutgers University, all of these things. And my mother sounds a lot like I do. So long story short, they finally agree on a date for these gentlemen to come and clean the carpet. And as they're about to hang up, Nancy says to my mom, Carol, just so you know, the men who are coming to clean your carpets are black. To which my mother, God love her, says, that's okay, Nancy. I sleep with a black man every night. And that's all she said. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. No explanation, nothing. And the woman's like, you know, well, they'll be there at three, you know, click. <laughs> So there's yeah. ways to find humor in uncomfortable things. You, that is amazing. You just reminded me of something that I, I'm going to actually share this too, just to give one more example. But my husband and I struggled with infertility for seven years and we didn't actually have children until our 12th or 13th year of marriage. So, you know, my husband comes from a very large family. He has cousins for days. Like I never actually, I remember early on in our marriage, it was difficult to keep them all straight because there's so many of them. So this well-meaning aunt comes up to us at a family event and says, so when are you going to have kids? And Jared, just my husband turns to her and says, well, we just really love practicing. And she just like turned red, <laughs> didn't know what to say. Uh, yeah, but we, we got pretty good at the little quips like that, you know, right. and maybe that was rude. I don't know, but it was just kind of a painful question for her to ask sure. given the circumstances where we were in and, um, she never asked again. Thank goodness. There you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> right or wrong. I mean, <laughs> but you know what? We don't live it. He handled it with humor. He kind of also put her in her place with doing that. And you kind of solved a problem. And it's a great cocktail story. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you get it's multifold. <laughs> we can laugh at it now for sure. <laughs> at hey, the time. I yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a little, well, that's what they, they say the, the, the equation for comedy is, you know, tragedy plus time equals comedy. Um, oh, I love that. That is a good quote. Like writer downer. 
right? That's right? amazing. Yeah. So, um, I wanted to ask you, how can people get a hold of you or learn more about you and um, kind of run through that? And then I'd like you to end off with our final note for the day, our, your final thought or final nugget of wisdom. Sure. So fortunately, I have a very unique name, Kareth, K-A-R-I-T-H. And maybe I'll come back one day and talk about how I got that name. Um, but it's Kareth Foster, and I can be found at kareth.com. Not too many Kareths out there. And my handle is Kareth Foster uh, at, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, Instagram. Now on Facebook, um, my professional page is Foster at Foster Kareth. So you just juxtapose the names, but otherwise, yeah, they're not, you can just pretty much Google Kareth and you'll find me. And I, I'll be sure to put those uh, links in the show notes as well for people. Thank you. And, oh, I would love to share that. Um, my book is available on Amazon. You can be perfect or you can be happy, uh, either the Kindle version or the, the physical copy. Awesome. Okay. And your final thought. I have hope. I have hope for humanity. I have hope for America as a nation. And I think that so much of it starts with being kind, not just to others, but to ourselves. You know, we don't need to be so hard on ourselves right now when we're dealing with a lot of stresses, with a lot of grief, with a lot of loss. We need to show ourselves love and kindness. And through that, we'll be able to extend that to others. Hope you loved today's episode. And if you did, please subscribe and leave a like, comment, and or review. Every interaction, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform, helps this podcast to reach more people like you. Thank you for tuning in to the Higher Genius Podcast.